If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. I have here with me Layla from the account, Instagram account, Propaganda Fluent. Uh, we've been chatting back and forth a lot about propaganda and language. Um, and I think she's very on the ball with this stuff. And I love her takes on this. So I decided this week, especially with all the stuff that's been coming out with legislation and how they name legislation, especially the Inflation Reduction Act, which we're going to get to, um, how propaganda is really kind of subtly put out there and how you can recognize it and, most importantly, how you can learn to use language to your benefit. So, Layla, how are you tonight? I'm really good. Um, I'm really excited to see what's going to be happening, what's going to be coming up. A lot is changing. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, when did you start getting into propaganda specifically and language and all of this? Because I think people think propaganda and it's not necessarily just propaganda like Soviet propaganda. It's mm -hmm. the power of language, how people kind of push a narrative, push their goals. How did you get into this? Yeah, so I've always been interested in design and human behavior. And I think propaganda sort of blends the two because it's essentially um, designing how people process information, process cues, and and how you as a propagandist could manipulate that. So um, it was just something that I thought was fascinating after learning about World War II when I was a kid and how they were able to rally so many people to, you know, do such you know atrocious things um i thought obviously this is a very powerful tool so i've just it's been a hobby for a long time and then when 2020 hit and i just was like wow this is propaganda like there's no way else to describe it um that's when i i started to really think about how i could you know get involved in a community and how i could help people understand what was happening because it was really overwhelming and i don't know if many people remember but it was really scary when it first started you know mm -hmm. uh, it was so confusing and overwhelming but for me i was like this is obviously propaganda so <laughs> it was easy to not believe what they were saying um but yeah that's just how i got into it and there's not a lot of people who actually talk about it we don't really have um we don't really have a language as a society to discuss and, and dissect propaganda. Um, we have the term fake news, which is amazing and such a blessing that we have that at least to be able to recognize and understand what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to start my page to help people understand the complexity of it. Yeah. And I think people, because we live in such a tribalist world um, where people believe that their language is correct that the other side's language is correct. And then we kind of go, well, how come we can never talk to each other? It's, it's really a lot to do with, um, I mean, basically language and how it does trigger emotions in people and certain, um, feelings and, and it gets people motivated to do one thing or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people, you know, the people don't even realize that, when you read news that agrees with you, 
that is a form of propaganda. That's a form of a narrative. It's a form of media that is trying to get you to do something. And I think people don't look hard enough into the sources that they themselves even agree with. They, I think they just kind of take it as it is and go, well, I agree with it. So I'm going to therefore just believe that is true. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They don't really understand the complexity and how it actually works. Um, they think that there's some sort of, there's some sort of way that they're actually in control of whether or not they get conditioned by propaganda, you know, um, and that's not really the case a lot of the time because propaganda actually works on people without their conscious awareness. Um, yeah, in, in articles and things like that, when it's really apparent, um, and usually at the later stages of the conditioning process, that's when we sort of notice it. But when it's first starting, it's very subtle and really, really difficult to detect. So I thought that was something we should definitely start to discuss, you know, as a community more in depth. And with the stakes as high as they are in terms of, you know, in a lot of ways, our freedom, <laughs> I mean, especially after the lockdowns, I think being able to pay attention to what it is they're conditioning us to accept is really, really important. I guess uh, who's... Maybe I'm jumping ahead to the uh -huh. question that should be at the end, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who do you think is better at propaganda right now? The left. And why is that? They utilize, first of all, they have the authority and they utilize so many different types of propaganda. So propaganda is news articles, it's conversations, it's textbooks. It's also, you know, films and TV shows. And they utilize all of it and they spend a lot of money on it. So they've been investing in this for a very, very long time. And unfortunately, the right doesn't really, I mean, they're starting to now <laughs> to invest in, in media, different types of media and things like that. But yeah, the left definitely does. It definitely does um, cater to all of the necessary components to running an effective propaganda campaign. Yeah, it's definitely a machine from the top down where they just hit you yeah. from every angle and you can just see it everywhere you go. And you're just like every movie, every award show, every mm -hmm. basketball game. It's just like on and on and on. And you're just like it gets grinding. It gets wearing on a lot of people. But you picked some articles that you wanted to share yeah. uh, specifically and we can kind of go through them. And um, I pulled them up, so I don't know which one specifically. Let's start with the Vox to... article. The... So, which one? The Vox article. The Vox article. Ah, it okay. The rich. So. Yeah, this was a good one. Yeah, so this is really important because you you know now we're seeing that of course with the Inflation Act carefully <laughs> renamed from the Build Back Better um, bill you see that we're going to have this huge army of new IRS agents. We're going to have, you know, potentially armed IRS agents. We're going to have a whole new environment in terms of taxation. Obviously that's what they're doing. They're building the infrastructure. Um, but when you think about propaganda and you think about society, you have to start to ask yourself, how did we even get to the point where people are willing to accept that? You know, I asked the leftist, I was like, what do you think about them hiring, you know, 80, 
80,000 new people. And they said, oh, I understand they're just trying to, you know, get more jobs. <laughs> but it's not really, you know, it's not that big a deal. They didn't seem very alarmed about it. Um, mm-hmm. And... And when you look at it, they've been building us up. This article, How to Tax the Rich, explained by Vox, very leftist, extremely leftist um, publication. Um, 2019, they're here giving you detail of why it's good to have more taxation because obviously left, their whole agenda is to consolidate power to the top, you know, have this total control of people um, these socialist Marxists, whatever agenda they have. And that definitely requires you not having a huge amount of income or distri- discretionary income. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they started in 2019 with this article and, you know, they've obviously had these articles like way earlier. They've had these notions of taxing the rich way earlier. Um, you know, you have Cortez with the dress. She went to the Met Gala with the tax the rich dress. And so it's easy for them to because they built this structure already in people's minds that okay it's expected taxing the rich more taxation means you're going to be taxing the rich that's what immediately happens in people's heads they connect that and it's a good thing right Mm. you know we need to help with the um inequality (laughs) we need to help with all these things by making sure corporations regardless of how large or small they are are, are, parent, are paying their fair share, things like that. So, you know, this article started and then you would go through to articles like um, the Forbes article, how should we tax the rich is the title. And these are more, you know, detailed explanations of, okay, what does this look like when we have more taxes basically? Mm. Um, and preparing people, because this is the main thing that I think a lot of people just really miss is that propaganda works over time. It builds up. It's not the all of a sudden, you know, here are all these ideologies. Here's these, uh, you know, crazy things like the, the, the gender ideology that they introduced. All of these things. Um, mm-hmm. It builds up over time. And because it's not so in our faces and because there's no like immediate visceral reaction a lot of us get, we just dismiss it and think it's, oh, it's just an article. But it's conditioning people to be willing to accept things. And then, you know, there's various other articles. And then if you go to the Trump allies article, the news.yahoo. Yeah. Yeah. Trump allies are attacking Biden. So the so this is just released August 9th, 2022. No, this is a different article. Maybe just Google Trump allies attack Biden. Uh, or Trump allies IRS. Yeah, just Google that. But with this article, this was released August 9th, right after they you know, did their thing and announced it. Uh, (laughs) They did several things. Um, But with this article, this is like the final, you know, closing argument. This is the final thing that's going to help solidify the concept for the left, you know, that's been 
associating taxation with it being a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. Trump allies are attacking, attacking Biden for a plan to hire 87 new IRS agents that doesn't exist. And <laughs> there obviously there is a plan to hire more IRS. <laughs> They're not really concerned about that. Um, but this is really, really making sure that the trigger that they've built up in these people's heads, because I know we're all familiar with Trump derangement syndrome. We don't actually have to like him or anything, but we do know that people take it to an extreme. So whatever is seemingly connected to Trump is something that they, you know, hate. So if he doesn't like the IRS, then by default, they're going to like whatever is, is happening. They're, they're going to, you know, do the opposite thing. So it's really interesting the way they, they frame that. Mm -hmm. And so really yeah, and I didn't even really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I was just going to say, I didn't even notice that the articles you sent me were over two years old and that yeah. I thought these were all sort of like recent articles. And then I now you're pointing out, oh, this is September 2019. This was March of 2019. And you're mm -hmm. thinking now it's starting to make sense of where we're at with the Inflation Reduction Act and how they're increasing tax rates here and there and they're closing loopholes or they're closing any sort of deductions. It's like, well, yeah, this has been in the works for a while. This isn't like all of a sudden these articles, there's just a flurry of articles right now. This, these articles have been out there for a while. And, and yeah, we've been talking, the left has been talking about taxing the rich and making them pay their fair share for a while. And I guess that's when they found a phrase that worked um they've definitely run with it this whole idea of like making the rich pay their fair share what's the fair share and they just keep pointing out what's their fair share what's their fair share and then you get to articles um like the first one the vox one which talks about what is the fair share and they obviously find some studies and they say oh well, these academic researchers say that 73 percent is the perfect uh, rate. Well, what academic researchers? Yeah. From where? Like, do you have a link to the article? Do you have a link to the study? No, they just say stuff like, well, academic people say that's the perfect rate. And the left naturally agrees with anybody in academia because the ac academia agrees with them. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, I, I, did, I didn't put it together when I was reading these articles that you sent over that these are years old, but they seem like they could have been written just this week when it comes to taxing the rich. Exactly. And that's the thing we miss because humans, you know, human behavior is really complex. And what we really do a bad job on is seeing things, you know, over time, the effects that will happen over time. Um, a lot of us don't study things like systems theory and systems thinking. Um, mm -hmm. You have complexity where the, the cause and effect are not directly correlated in a very short time. You know, I uh, turn on a pot and then it starts boiling. You know, that's really something we're used to tracking and seeing as, as people, as a society, that immediately caught that immediate cause and effect. But when you do mm -hmm. something over a long span of time, it's really difficult to see and, and connect and find that correlation. 
And that's what propaganda really takes um, advantage of, that sort of time blindness. And people don't have a good way of anticipating what certain behaviors, like the long-term ramifications. We're not actually even taught to do that, honestly. No, and it, it does, it will because it has to work its way into the vernacular. Mm-hmm. And it has to become something that you start to see people quote over and over and over again. And that's how you know it's working. And that's how you know it's, it's kind of like when you run a social media account and you say like, what works? What is my audience like? What are they like listening to? And once you grab onto something, you're like, okay, this is what they like. And this is what they're going to make go viral. It's the same thing when you're pushing a certain political point or any sort of propaganda as you latch on to phrases. I mean, for every one phrase of like, we have to make them pay their fair share. There's probably hundreds of like failed narratives or phrases that they tried to roll out, which were just really bad and they didn't catch fire. Um, But once it gets in the vernacular and it becomes part of like the like the zeitgeist, I guess you could say, like the political zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, then you have something and then it becomes this sort of feedback loop of, well, people are talking about their fair share. This is great. Let's keep writing articles about the fair share and then explain to them what the fair share really is, which is 73% or whatever they want to make that fair share. And then it just keeps going and they just keep feeding into the loop until one day they accomplish it because most people believe in it. Yeah, they're complicit with it. If people weren't, you know, trained and prepared for this and primed for this, a lot of people wouldn't be complicit. They would be upset about it because who wants to deal with the IRS? No one. But for whatever reason, because, well, because of the propaganda, the left is not really, they don't feel like this is a huge issue. You know, it's associated with conservatives and those, you know, conservatives and all the negative things associated with that. Um, so there's no particular outrage, even though it's in their best interest to be concerned about it Mm -hmm. because they don't, they could come after anybody, um, regardless of whether you worship at the altar of the state or not. Um, Mm -hmm. how I had this question. I was going to, do you see, have you seen over time and maybe, I, I've seen it a little bit as well is this worship of the state. Has it always been part of our American political mindset or has it grown over time? Like, have you seen people start to believe that the state is God? We worship at the altar of the state. The state can do no wrong. I mean, we, we saw it in COVID. There were people who believed whatever the state says we have to do, we have to do it. And there's no questioning it. Have you seen that before all of this, like over time building up or is this a new phenomenon? Well, yeah, this was definitely okay. So that whole worship of the state and the authoritarian, like running to the authoritarian left That is something they're utilizing, and it's a huge, basically, they're utilizing trauma. Because if you look at the person who is on the left, who worships the state, what do they generally say about themselves? 
number one, they're victims of something. Okay. Um, what does a victim do? <laughs> they get victimized, <laughs> unfortunately. So that right there is the first cue. Um, so they're going to find someone who could potentially, who will, or potentially victimize them. And the greatest, um, the greatest thing to do would be find the state. And then they also, they, they lack, um, confidence in themselves in a lot of ways because, you know, they see themselves as victims and losing at things. So of course they're going to latch on to whoever can be that, that parental figure for them. Uh, and so they're utilizing a lot of those things. Um, fear, and they're more springing off of um, the hatred of Trump because they built that up so persistently over several years, over you know his presidency. The hatred of Trump is so um, ingrained in them that they automatically do whatever is the opposite to him. They don't really evaluate, okay, so is this beneficial to me potentially? They just know orange man bad, you know? Yeah. So that is something they're utilizing. And um, I've seen, I haven't seen it build up slowly. I think this is just, you know, with the whole COVID thing that was really polarizing. Um, and that really drove them all, you know, toward that, toward the state, toward the open arms of the state. Um, because it doesn't make a lot of sense if you look at it, like why they would, why they would be okay with some racist white people versus other racist white people that they view. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense because apparently America's racist, but not this America. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's a lot of loopholes and a lot of mental gymnastics they're going through, like uh, similar to how they feel about gun control, you know, like the state is systemically racist and unjust but they should control, they should have a total monopoly of all violence or potential violence. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't register, but that's because they're so fragmented. Like they're mm. really fragmented people. And that's ultimately what happens when you go through a really, really serious propaganda um, campaign. You, you become this sort of fragmented person mentally. Yeah, I think people before covid who ended up being worshipers of the state um likely were the people who believed government can solve everything mm. and then covid happened and their natural instinct and again this could be that sort of subconscious building up over time of where they read articles and every left-leaning article says how do we fix this problem well, the government should come in and do this, or the government should come in and enact this program, like free healthcare, or free college, or da da da. Yeah. So I guess over time, they've been built up to believe whenever there's a crisis, the only people who can solve it the best is the government. And then when COVID happened, they looked like superheroes to them in their eyes because they could do no wrong and the government was doing everything. Um, however, they didn't believe in the government when it was run by Trump, but the minute Biden took over, all of a sudden everything was fine. You know, mm -hmm. like Kamala said, I'm not going to take a Trump backed vaccine. And everyone was like, yeah, you go, girl. And then the minute she got into office, she was like, OK, everyone go get your vaccines and your boosters. 
And everyone's like, mm-hmm. yes, queen, let's go get our vaccines. So, exactly. um, yeah, I think it's accelerated it that people who worship at the altar of the state are definitely more, they're, they're almost dogmatic at this point when it comes to how much they just listen to that. Um, so there's a couple more articles. Did you want to discuss any of these? I, I have a times um, times article. No, I think other. that's a good, I think that's a good progression for people okay. to see. Yeah. That was the main thing I wanted to show people the progression because uh, again, that's what we have to look for when we're observing things. It starts off really, really subtle and then yeah. builds up over It's time. been going on for a while. There's mm-hmm. this book that you shared with me that I'm not planning on reading. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone else should probably read it. It's this guy from Taxing the Rich, A History of Fiscal Fairness in the United States and Europe. Yeah. Groundbreaking history of what governments do and don't tax the rich. Because it's has diminishing returns. Um, but there was, uh, I did want to bring this up. We were talking about it before. Uh, hopefully we have no technical issues tonight with sharing a video. I think we'll be fine. Um, this is one of my favorite styles of propaganda. And John Oliver has got to be one of the biggest propagandists out there. And I don't know, we, we were talking about it before the show, but it kind of clicked for me when I saw this post being shared around different message boards. It was a snapshot of uh, 4chan. Um, I wasn't on 4chan, so anybody out who's out there is like, you know, California Underground's on 4chan and all that <laughs> stuff. I've never been on 4chan. I don't even know how to log on to 4chan. It was a snapshot of 4chan. And they described specifically the formula that people like John Oliver use or Trevor Noah. I mean, put your comedian in um they basically make a point and before you have time to think about that point they make a joke and the way and the reason they do this is it because one it distracts you from thinking about that point it short circuits your brain because you're about to think about something and go well is that correct oh no he made a funny joke about something okay now i'm laughing at the joke and you get that extra dopamine hit of, I mean, it's, it's just basic lizard brain. When you get a dopamine hit, you associate, oh, that's good. I like that. So then that point becomes relevant in your mind as this is good. I like that. So it's a pretty interesting formula. Um, we could take a couple minutes. This is him talking about inflation. Um, if you want, if something jumps out at you, Tell me to pause, and I'll go ahead and pause, and we can talk about it. Let's examine inflation. What caused it, what we've done to address it so far, and what could happen next. And let's start with how exactly we got here, because you've probably heard a lot of explanations flying around. This is Biden inflation, a 39-year high created by Joe Biden. Make no mistake, inflation is largely the fall of Putin. The supply chain is the catalyst at the end of the day. Inflation is not caused by the Build Back Better or the bipartisan bill, it's caused by corporate greed. Yeah, there has been a flurry of finger-pointing, with many tending to place the blame on whatever they were already mad at, with some Democrats blaming corporate greed, Republicans blaming Joe Biden, Biden blaming Putin, and your dog presumably blaming the vacuum cleaner. And- so, insert joke. Everyone mm-hmm. laughs. 
Here is the and interesting thing. Aside from the dog, they're probably all at least a little bit right. Because the truth is, there is no one cause of inflation. At the best of times, it involves a multitude of factors. And the situation that we're in right now has been an unprecedented perfect storm. And to understand that storm, it might actually help to pause for a moment to talk about the mechanics of inflation. Very basically, it happens whenever there is too much demand for too little supply. If people have lots of money to spend, they usually want to buy more stuff. But if there is not enough stuff to go around, then the price of that stuff goes up. I'll give you an example. Let's say that every single person in America suddenly wins the lottery and everyone now has $40 million to spend. What are they going to do? Well, I would assume. So first off, that's not really how inflation happens. No. No. Um, that, that's just that's just supply and demand. He's, he's trying to conflate supply and demand yeah. with inflation. Not the same thing. Like the reason the Mona Lisa is priceless is because there's one of them, mm-hmm. not because of inflation. Um, <laughs> you know, the reason that a original first print Beatles white album is expensive is because there's not many of them and people hold on to them, not because a lot of people want it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of people do want it, but that's not. He's not explaining, but he does bring this up about if everyone won $40 million. Yes, that's exactly what inflation happened here Mm. in 2020 was everyone sort of won the lottery in a small way. Like not a lot, but people won the lottery because they were being given thousands of dollars by the government. Um, And all of a sudden we're flooded with trillions of dollars of money that was not here in the economy not long ago um so he did get that right that it is sort of like if everybody won the lottery and all of a sudden we all have more money that's what inflation really is but then again he'll tell a little joke and get you distracted by it they do what I would, which is immediately buy this $1,500 Emerald's Patina fountain statue of a frog spreading its unnaturally long legs in a manner that seems offensive, but I'm not exactly sure to who. Now, by the way, the frog comes in two sizes, large and giant. Now, obviously, if you win the lottery, you are springing for the giant one, but here is the problem. There are currently only three of them left in stock. So the statues are likely to get more expensive because everyone suddenly wants one as they all have more money to spend, but there are only three left. Basically, high demand, not enough supply, and that's how we get frogflation. Frogflation. That's not how you get frogflation. (sighs) Again, he's using the Mona Lisa example, which is there's only three of these statues left. And a lot of people might want i guess a lot of people want this frog statue yeah that's not it's still not inflation even though if you add a cute little name like frogflation so too much money chasing a limited supply of goods can lead to inflation and some on the right have seized on the too much money part of that idea to suggest that inflation is really just down to one thing When you put $6 trillion of fiscal stimulus into the economy, as President Biden and Democrats did last year, you're going to end up with big-time inflation. The March stimulus package literally manufactured inflation. This inflation is caused by Democrat policies. Didn't just happen. This is the Democrat tax on the middle class. Wow. That is some pretty heavy fire there. 
Calling something a tax on the middle class is one of the best ways to make it look bad, just after calling it a close associate of Prince Andrew. <laughs> Blaming Biden's stimulus package has become a common refrain on the right when discussing inflation. And the reality is, there is a kernel of truth to it. Thanks to the pandemic-era stimulus bills, people did have more cash on hand. But that is not the only reason. As strange as it sounds, many people saved money during the early days of the pandemic simply because we were all stuck at home. By one estimate, households actually accumulated $2.5 trillion in excess savings during the pandemic. And to the extent that people were spending money, it mostly wasn't on. If you pause it for a second. So a lot of the things that we're seeing right now, and this is what the left does really well, is they talk down to you like you're a child. Mm. They explain things to you. Their propaganda always comes with, okay, here's our propaganda, here's what we want you to do, but let me explain to you in very like childish detail exactly what it is so you know. So there's little bits of truth, but of course they're missing the whole point because obviously yeah. what they want to do is divert responsibility. And I'm assuming at some point he's going to blame wealthier people somehow. They're the problem. <laughs> I don't know. What is, what is, who does he end up blaming? I mean, it, it still has like 20 minutes left, but he blames a little bit of everybody. We can go on for a couple more minutes and then we'll get back to conversation about, uh, yeah. I think we'll, we can move on to like the power of language and how we can use it. But I want, we can do a couple more minutes of John Oliver. Services <laughs> like bikes or hotels or restaurants. Instead, it went to goods like furniture, appliances, or I don't know, some steamy watercolor rat erotica. <laughs> I'm just describing what most people did in 2020. Another joke. And what's more, the notion that our economy would be fine if not for Biden's stimulus completely ignores what it would have looked like without it. Because it not only protected low-income workers who were in real trouble, it also helped us avoid a COVID-induced... Okay, okay. So this this actually, if you're not really paying attention, um, he, he breezes past this point. And this is kind of what we were talking about before, this worship of the state. And he just kind of breezes past it and makes the point as if everyone agrees with him. Mm -hmm. Boy, things would have been so much worse if we didn't have this enormous six trillion dollar spending bill. What's what's the alternative that he's leaving out there? If we didn't that, shut down the economy. <laughs> exactly. If we didn't shut down the economy. And the government didn't say, okay, everyone has to shut down their economy. We wouldn't need mm -hmm. $6 trillion for everyone to do this. So he just kind of blows past that point as if it's a given Yeah. of, well, the government had to step in and do something. That's what the government does. We fix mm -hmm. things. Um, but, of course, he doesn't acknowledge anything in this whole clip about what if we just didn't shut down the economy? Maybe yeah. we wouldn't have this problem with not enough goods and supply chains and all that. So yeah. that's the ultimate thing. But he's building this whole like elaborate web of justification. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's just because they manipulated the markets. They manipulated the economy and mm -hmm. they threw it out of balance. Like that's what they did. They made people vulnerable, unfortunately. And that's why we're seeing like, People are already so vulnerable. They've already been destabilized. And now they're going to come in with the more taxation to really, I guess, finish it off.
yeah and i mean this incredible inflation reduction act which amazing um, amazing it, wow. again it's another perfect example of how they just rename something mm-hmm. and people gobble it up and say oh well the name of the bill is the inflation reduction act it's probably going to reduce inflation now what happens six months from now when inflation isn't reduced are we going to look back and say the inflation reduction act was a failure the left probably won't the media will probably just glance by it and say well we didn't get everything we wanted it's not working yet we have to give it more time blah 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 we we'll have something else to be upset about yeah they'll have a new issue monkey or something used financial crisis and while with hindsight most economists would say that we could have made it more targeted and precise so that we didn't increase the money supply any more than we absolutely had to. It is very important to note that according to one estimate, without the American Rescue Plan, the economy would have come close to suffering a double-digit recession in the spring of 2021. So two things are likely true here. The government stimulus did contribute to inflation, but it was also a necessary intervention. And the much bigger point... Again... Not necessary. It was not necessary because it was not necessary to shut down the government or shut down the economy. Mm-mm. That's the base that, that that's the premise that he's missing is that it had to be one or the other. It had to be the government stepped in, or we would have seen this enormous recession. Yeah, because everything that, was closed. <laughs> of yeah. course. <laughs> I mean, you can't. Uh, it's it, he's giving you this binary choice. Mm-hmm. Yet there's this big third choice, like the elephant in the room going, uh, there's this other third choice. Uh, you could have just not shut down the economy. Yeah. But then that would be endangering our community. So we can't do that. You can't do that now. Clearly isn't just about the stimulus at all. After all, it's not just a problem here in the US. Britain and Germany have seen inflation rates hit four decade highs. And in seven Eastern European nations, it's now expected to surge past also countries double digits. That shut down and in Japan, it's had particularly dramatic consequences. Hakone Miyaru. We're at an aquarium in Hakone. The effects of inflation can be felt here too. With the rising price of feed, they've chosen to use the cheaper mackerel. How are the <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so they're using here with this what they're doing they're opening up they're normalizing it they're making it oh this is this is not just us it's okay it's okay you don't have to get upset everybody went through this everyone at least that we respect went through this you know because they they went along with the agenda yeah all these other european nations that you love Mm -hmm. are also going through the same thing and what's the same commonality yeah that they all shut down and they all passed enormous amounts of stimulus. She tries to coax it to eat. The penguin doesn't like it. No, no, it does not. And I do not blame it. I love absolutely everything about that. My new favorite genre of new segment is now footage of what appears to be a large flightless bird being a massive bitch, which now that I say it out loud, would be a pretty accurate title for this show. But also remember, okay, so that's a pretty good place to stop on that joke because he actually made fun of himself. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's a whole example. If you watch any John Oliver um, show, you're you always see people say, "Oh, did you see John Oliver?" They pass around this video of John Oliver because it's so funny, and they get the tingles, and it makes them feel good, and it mm-hmm. uh, reaffirms their worldview. But it is an example of how propaganda is used and how language, the power of language is being used through culture. Like you said, the left is much better at they have control of these comedy shows. They have control of the late night shows. Stephen Colbert is. I wouldn't say Stephen Colbert is as good as John Oliver. John Oliver is a little bit smoother because he kind of like pushes things through and you don't really notice if you're not paying attention. Stephen Colbert just comes out and says it. Um, Trevor Noah tries to do the same thing. I blame John Stewart for all of this. Thank you, John Stewart, for yeah. unleashing this on the world. Um, but let's talk about now the power of language uh, for mm-hmm. the rest of the show. And we've talked about this before, how we can use language to really enact change and get people to believe in your cause. Yeah. Um, and, and how important that is and how I believe conservatives don't really know how to do that. They don't. Their messaging, they're focused on themselves and what sounds good to them. And the thing that people forget is propaganda, you know, it doesn't really matter for a propagandist. It doesn't matter what they have to say to you or what they have to do to get you to believe something because they can have um, language that's totally contradictory um, and get the result that they want if the result could be totally contradictory to the language they use. So it's this sort of like mindless beast that they sort of uh, put into people where they just follow whatever the trigger is. Like if I say um, somehow drinking this type of Kool-Aid is going to heal me. Well, logically that's not true, but if they propagandize it enough, people believe it. Um, they're not going to, you know, dissect it. So yeah, language is really, really powerful and it ties into symbolism also. And this is another thing that people don't really have a firm grasp of, you know, why is it every corporation has a logo? What do they do that just for fun? (laughs) No, it's because symbols carry huge amounts of meaning subconsciously. And, and, um, that is something that we've developed over time because initially human beings, we didn't read or write for a long period of time, right? We use symbols, like symbols represented things, especially in like earliest languages, they use symbols like the sun. We all over the world have a shared meaning of what the sun represents. We don't have to use the same word to, you know, use the sun or describe the sun but we all know what it means. It's like sunshine, happiness, warmth, uh, growth, you know, all these things. So they utilize language and they utilize the symbols associated with language. So now Trump is not just a name, it's a symbol. You know, it represents all of these things. MAGA represents all of these things and they can just use whatever they need to do. Um, They can use it to do whatever they want with it. Here in California, I think there's a huge problem with conservatives or Republicans not understanding the power of language to, in their case, win over voters who are not on their side. Yeah. 
Um, and I've talked about this before because if if Republicans are fine with patting themselves on the back and you know Being Brian right. Dolly and <laughs> just yeah they're patting themselves on the back that the participation trophies are fine they're fine with Brian Dolly just even got on the ballot to challenge Newsom then I guess they're doing a good job. Then they're doing a fine job of just being in the race. I don't think they'll be in the race much longer if they keep down this path. I think they'll become irrelevant because they don't know how to talk to Californians. And I don't think they know how to talk to a wider audience of Californians outside of their small, uh, of their small base. And it, it is certainly an issue of learning how to, take conservative values or Republican values and change them into language that would make Californians go, huh? Okay. I can agree with that. Would you, yeah. would you say that that's a problem here in California? Yeah. I would say more importantly though, rather than try to make their own sort of phrases and things like that, it would be even, it would be better and faster to just co-opt um, existing language, co-opt it, you know, build new associations with it and, mm -hmm. and use that path. Cause there's always, there's already sort of that tunnel built, you know, there's already sort of that infrastructure built when there's mm -hmm. um, meaning assigned to a phrase. And if they just, you know, co-opt that you, and you can do it, you just make uh, media that, explains things to them you make a similar type of john oliver thing that says oh no taxing the rich is this and then change the meeting to being a negative thing or we don't need mm -hmm. to do that or it's unnecessary and and you could very well do that because that trigger is still there that that positive association is already there with that phrase let's say like that's a good thing that's something i align with um and you can co-opt it but that's like really, really complicated. And that's something that people I think are really scared to do. Mm -hmm. um, um, and it requires a lot of different, um, it's, it's like sort of like uprooting a weed. <laughs> you still have that grass, but you could uproot that weed and you can plant something else. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's like one example. And I've been trying this out on Twitter just to, uh, to see if leftist heads explode is this whole issue of uh, the open air drug or the safe drug injection sites. Mm -hmm. uh, now, what's one quality that leftists usually think they are when they vote for certain things? They usually paint themselves as very compassionate. Oh, I yeah. vote for stuff because I'm compassionate, because I care about the little guy. But when you bring up the idea of, well you're pushing this policy that is effectively keeping people in a horrible state and slowly poisoning them to death. That's not very compassionate. And it's one of those things where you can kind of take their own emotions and values and kind of flip it around and go, are you compassionate if you're voting for someone to quite literally kill themselves? Exactly. And it's fun exactly. to watch leftists try and argue their way out of it and be like, well, what, what else do you want them to do? I'm like, get off drugs. That would be compassionate. Get them a life back. Give them meaning. That's more compassionate. You want them to die in a gutter. And I think that's 
but it, you know it's funny but it's you have to kind of latch on to these qualities that they they have and turn it on their head and be like you're not very compassionate you think you're compassionate but you're not very compassionate yeah it's flipping it around on them yeah exactly but you know honestly i i actually saw a piece of propaganda one of those little like memes where they're doing the explainer videos and this mm -hmm. guy was explaining oh who are you to tell people what they can do with money you know that's not fair if they want to do drugs that's their right that's their life <laughs> so it's just like really i thought we did this whole mask thing because we care about our neighbor so much when did that stop like <laughs> shouldn't we care they're not going to poison themselves stuff so yeah they yeah, have a lot cool. of frag again they, they have a lot of fragmentation so yeah. Yeah, and it's not necessarily winning over leftists like that mm -hmm. because you're probably never going to win them over. They're they're until they come to a full like coming to Jesus moment. Um, <laughs> but people who maybe independent voters or moderate Democrats who identify with some of those values, you can learn to use that language mm -hmm. and push it to. Um meet your goals like one thing is school choice if you phrase school choice in a way of well a lot of people say school choice the left will say oh school choice is racist it's horrible and da, da, da. but if you phrase the argument in that actually it helps more children in lower inner city communities to get out and to have a better chance at a more successful future why are you against that? And also pointing out that you're fine with public school. They should go to a school based on where they were born. That doesn't seem very fair. It doesn't seem very like that doesn't seem very compassionate. It doesn't seem very helpful to that, that child. I think that's a way to kind of argue school choice so that moderates, moderate Democrats or independents can kind of look at it and go, yeah, okay, now I can get on board with it exactly yeah that that would require a nice video you know some friendly pictures of people going where they want to go and feeling free you know associate freedom with it and and um you know more equality i guess you know all of these positive aspects that you could associate with it but for them i mean that's why the left is so good they've already prepackaged. like okay this is your immediate response to it like I asked a leftist, okay, why why are you against it? And they're like, oh, it defunds the schools. And I'm like, oh, it, no, it defunds schools in, in bad neighborhoods. And I'm like, okay, so throwing money at something is not going to work. It hasn't worked. So what's wrong with that? And they, you know, they don't really have an argument. But it's just, it's mean to defund schools. <laughs> ah, because those poor public school teachers. Yeah. Might actually have to go do something else. Um, <laughs> I know. Another piece of propaganda I saw in California, and we just talked about it last week, was this whole issue of monkeypox and how, like you were saying before, it made me think of it. For two years, it was we have to care about our neighbors and we have to do X, Y, and Z. And we have to do all this because we want to contain COVID as much as mm -hmm. possible. Then you have Door Alley Festival. Where basically they're like, 
screw everybody else in the world. We're going to go to Door Alley and we're going to make this even worse than it already was. Um, so that's an interesting how they switched that around to it went from we have to shut down the economy because we care for each other and we don't want this to spread to you can't shut down this festival because we want to go out and have fun. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. and that's the hierarchy though. That's the hierarchy of people. They're, they, they, they are allowed whatever you associate with them. They're allowed to do, you know, yeah. this really group. So, it's so we got a couple so- minutes left. Um, mm-hmm. This might be a good question to end on. Or maybe a tough question to end on. What's the best piece of propaganda you've seen? Oh, the best piece of propaganda I've seen. Um, that's really difficult because I would have to say, honestly, the best piece of propaganda is the whole masking propaganda that they created that campaign, the way they did it. And I, I, I'm sure people don't remember this, but when they started the whole COVID thing, you're in your house, you're on your phone, you're watching TV, you're not going to work. They flooded the internet with those memes, just images, 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 explaining to people why you wear a mask. You wear a mask because you care about people. You wear a mask for this. And I think they had just like a bunch of, you know, like filler accounts, like a bunch of bots, whatever it is. And they had a huge amount of artwork on the ready for it to explain Mm. why you're going to adopt this mask. And so after, uh, you know, a week of that, just seeing that all over the internet and everybody's accounts, um, it, it, it's just common sense. You know, you need to wear a mask because you're protecting other people and, and other people have to wear a mask um, because it's it's necessary. And then then they finally, at the very, very end tail end of it, they brought out a piece of like propaganda about um, Linda Wu. I think that's who she was. She's like a talking head for MSNBC. And um, she was like, okay, we have one-way masking now. So you know, if you're wearing your mask, you're fine. <laughs> it's just like, it's insanity. It's literally. So that was definitely, I think, the best. Because it worked so well. Everybody was doing it. Yeah. And it's still ingrained in people. People still mm-hmm. do it. And then yeah. if they see numbers go up and the media tells them numbers are going up, watch out for COVID. All of a sudden, you start to see, you can just walk down the street and start to see yeah. more and more people wearing masks. And that's how train uh people are at this point to just accept Uh it and not even think or look through it um so it's uh it's interesting to look at this stuff and i i urge everybody to look twice when you're whatever news article you're reading whether it's a source you agree with a source you don't agree with you know take what we talked about today and look at really what people are saying and kind of figure out what their language is and what their goal is um yeah and, and yeah. see if you can what, there. what's the end goal that's what you yeah you definitely have to ask yourself what's it what's the purpose of this like mm-hmm. disregard what they're saying what are they ultimately trying to get me to do and i do want to say too because you know for everybody watching it's great to analyze and you know gawk at all this like horrible propaganda we see but the point of us being able to recognize it 
and understand it is so we can form in whatever way we can counter propaganda, you know, go against that narrative, start to build that resistance because over time, you know, it's going to, let's say someone who's a moderate, you know, if they hear you saying something contradictory over time, that will help displace and mitigate the effects of the propaganda. So we have to be responsive to it. We have to be able to recognize, okay, this is the narrative they're going to push. Um, let's, let's start building our own language or our own messaging around it. And that's what we should be doing, but obviously <laughs> we're not that great at it. Um, but hopefully locally we can at least start to do it. I don't know. Yeah. And I think, um, California is, is a good place to start. And I, I say that in all earnesty and all honesty, because I think there are people who think differently out here. And if you're going to try something different, try it here in California. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're going to innovate and change language and how people talk about issues, I think you could do it here in California and you might be surprised at the results. Um, and I think people just need to get out of their heads regarding, well, we keep saying the same thing. We want to lower taxes and X, Y, and Z. Why aren't people voting for us? Mm-hmm. Is it because you've been saying the same Ronald Reagan lines since 1980s and people in 2022 don't identify with Ronald Reagan anymore? Maybe that's yeah. one thing. So yeah. it's, and it's uh, not going to be immediate. It's not going to be immediate. What's the gradual? They, there's no intermediate. It's just A or B, like do what we like agree with us hundred percent. There's no gradual transition. There's no gradual narrative like, Hey, what about this? And then this, and then this, and then this, the left doesn't just say automatically, Oh, we're going to make it so you're, you know, in your house 100% and totally rely on welfare. They're slowly, gradually <laughs> building that um, in everything they do. So we have to practice that. We have to find how do we slowly introduce this to people so they can be comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Layla, thanks for the great conversation. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Uh, where can people find you and follow you and all that stuff? Yeah, so I'm on TikTok and I'm on Instagram, uh, Propaganda Fluent. And um, I have a YouTube channel I'm working on because I think a lot of a lot of what I'm trying to get out needs like longer form. So I'm working on that too, getting, uh, you know, some 14 minute episodes because it's hard to explain a lot of this stuff in the reels. <laughs> you have yeah. like 60 seconds and people are like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, on, on my Instagram, I generally just look at news and try to help people understand, okay, what is this leading to? Like, what are they going to be building to next? Because you can, you know, look at it and see and anticipate. I think the first time I saw your username, I was like, propaganda fluent. I was like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> I know, right? And then I, 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 then I put it together. I said, oh, okay, okay. And then I started to follow you and, and watch your lives. And I was like, ah, she's fluent in dissecting propaganda and she understands it i think you actually did you pick up don't think of an elephant because i had suggested it were you one of those people yeah Some, yeah couple. I definitely did. that was one of the first episodes i saw from you and i was like whoa this is perfect and i made a little like meme around it and it yeah it was like this guy 
he's <laughs> he's the perfect compliment because he understands i'm i'm new to politics so it's great to watch your show and get to understand california politics especially well, it's so nuanced yeah i appreciate that thank you um so yeah everyone go follow layla at propaganda fluent follow her on tiktok go bump up her youtube numbers give her a reason to put more youtube content out there um because i think it'd be really good youtube content and uh, to everyone who tuned in and everyone who's listening, uh, like I end every show, if you enjoyed this show, make sure you text at least one person, share the show and let them know, hey, you should check out this show. Um, thank you to everyone who supports through Patreon or shirts or whatever and helps this grow the show and all that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Night, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 